From Universal Studios Hollywood in beautiful Los Angeles, California. ToadHopNetwork.com. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Sean Astin. This is... Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people, and uh, we are here on the Toad Hop Network. <clears throat> the topic for today, I just have to smile, because when you think about exciting programming, when you think about you know stuff that's just going to light up the charts, and I'm not talking about your reality television, I'm not talking about you know sexy sports cars and people with guns and helicopters. I'm talking about stuff that really hits people where they live. Uh, you know, not the kind of stuff that's going to get them on iTunes, purchasing anything other than episodes of this show. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. And this is from the same people who brought you the uh, CBO topic of the week, the Congressional Budget Office top of the week, which I, I want to say I think they're still talking about. I do. I think people are still... Uh, <sighs> There's a glow that they have from that topic because every time they hear the news now and the, somebody says, well, the CBO adjusted numbers and blah, 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 they're like, hey, wait a minute. I know what that is. So anyhow, from the, anyhow, from the same show that brought you the CBO numbers, today's topic is, settle down, wait for it, everyone, austerity measures. That's right. Austerity measures. What's an austerity measure? Well, you can't buy it at Home Depot. I want to play something for you. Where did it go? Oh, here it is. I want to play. I was just out in uh, CityWalk. We record live at CityWalk uh, at Universal Studios Los Angeles. And <laughs> we uh, were up at the John Lovitz Comedy Club on the third floor, state-of-the-art sound system that's put in there. And here, um, here are a few quick chats that I had with people about austerity measures and, and what they are. Austerity measures. Do you know what austerity measures are in the news? No. I didn't either. <laughs> no, high, highly intelligent guy there. I mean, no, I'm not joking. He would look like a really, I heard, heard part of his conversation, very smart guy, clearly knowledgeable about the world. I said austerity measures. He got the blank look in his face. All right, here's another, uh, another group. No. You're not the only one. No, no, she didn't know either. Smart lady, had a family, kids. She was clearly uh, doing their day. Here's another. Uh, here's another guy. Do you know what um, austerity measures are? Gal? No, me either. No, nothing. Yeah. Anybody else? Last group here. Last, last group. Is, do you know what austerity measures are? No, me either. People feel so um, ashamed if you answer them, ask them a question they don't know the answer to. Oh, no, I don't. Why? And they kind of sheepishly turn away, and I, I don't know. Anyhow, I think that that small, um, you know, albeit um, anecdotal sampling of people probably represents, I would say, almost every single man, woman, and child in America. Uh, austerity measures. And yet you always hear about it um, when you're watching the news. 
usually with pictures of Greece and people throwing fire. Um, other times with Europeans whose lifestyle clearly we wouldn't want to have to suffer through is the basic premise of our collective reaction. Uh, but uh, austerity measures, what does it mean? Um, I, you know, my working knowledge of it was as much as like, isn't that when the government cuts spending for social services? Ding, 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 ding. My, my research into the uh, subject has uh, confirmed that my limited understanding was in fact, you know, moving in the right, right direction. I have a, a definition here that I'd like to read from someplace that I don't know where it is. It's on the internets, webs, or whatever. Uh, austerity, a program, a program in which a government drastically reduces spending and or increases taxes or other revenue sources. A government launches austerity programs when their deficit and or national debt become unsustainable. Hmm. Sound familiar? The IMF, International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank really popular uh, groups, not so much, uh, often require, us, require austerity programs in exchange for restructuring or refinancing a country's debt. And um, I think we'll have to do another, um, another episode uh, called Restructuring. When you look at uh, what happens when a government is bankrupt and they basically are you know, going out of business, they, the euphemism that you always hear is like, well, they're, they're in a restructuring phase. So at some point, we'll have to go into what restructuring actually means. Um, austerity is usually politically unpopular because it may involve cutting programs like food subsidies. Funny how the people get all up in arms when they don't have enough food to eat. and uh, Or national health care. Uh-oh, another buzzword. Um, <laughs> I can just see hairs on the back of the necks of people I, I know and like and disagree with uh, when they when they hear that. So austerity program, program in which a government drastically reduces spending or increases taxes. Okay, so that's what governments do. They increase taxes or decrease taxes. They increase spending, they decrease spending. Okay, so an, an austerity program has to do with the severity of that approach. And there's uh, there's two words in there that, that I always... Uh, Blanch at, or just kind of shudder, or wonder, or think, or I don't know. But one of them is a program. It's a program. It's a program. I always think of a program as like, you know, at the tennis club, they have a program. Uh, you know, with the, with the uh, for, for in, a, in a senior center with the aquatics. You know, there's a uh, there's the the aquatics. You know, nine nine to nine thirty program for you know strength conditioning or something like that. I don't when a program when it comes to a government thing. Okay, so somebody must design this program, um, and somebody must implement this program. It's it's clearly like the party platform. Is that like what a party? If there's a party platform and a series of laws, or there or in an individual law, or they use the word package. Well, in this, uh, you know, in this tax package, we're going to have a something or other. This tax package or this this uh, funding package, and I guess what it means is we've got 19 senators to agree on those 12 items, and so that's what we're building on. And if we can get others on board, we can sort of characterize what we've already accomplished as a package. Um, but. 
I don't know how they do that. I don't know how when when something has gone from deal making and governing to you know package creation. But anyway, okay. So the really the reason it's worth talking about uh, to an American audience, I suppose this is an internationally uh, available podcast and uh, and streaming um, video program. But uh, but I I would suspect that the you know the most of the few thousand people who listen to this show every week um, are, are are here in the U.S. and it's actually it's it's applicable no matter where you are. A government launches austerity programs when their deficit and or national debt become unsustainable. Now I didn't go through the work on today's uh, episode to pull up the uh, the the debt clock, um, but it does. Everybody in America knows that our national debt is uh, astronomical. And that we're not taking in anywhere near as much money as we're spending, and that taxes are too high, and so we've got this um, poison cocktail of, of uh, you know, an economic system, or an economic uh, uh, environment that is just uh, that's you know really doesn't bode well for for uh, the health of our, uh, our our people or our companies or our government. So one wonders when. Our government will begin to seriously consider austerity reform or austerity programs. And I think some would probably argue now that we're already doing that, that some of the assault on uh, Social Security or any of the any of the social services that are available to people that uh, that you know if those are threatened if if cuts in those programs are threatened then we're going to be expected to that then essentially we're living under some sort of an austerity austerity regime uh, another great word regime if you really want somebody to sound sinister you call it a regime um, so so we we I I think it's worth trying to figure out what this austerity situation is and what what it means. Um, in Europe, what it means in Greece, we've been watching the news how the the Greek um, government is in trouble, and it seems like every week. And I, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this. I'm not an expert in anything, actually. I, I, I realize. So if anybody wants to call in eight 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 five two zero four three seven four, I would very much like to have uh, my notions of uh, austerity programs disabused. But but. It's my feeling from watching the news, and you can never tell from one week to the next if there's any actually new news. It seems like just the old stories are recycled and 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 posted up there. But but uh, they just keep electing they the the the, the Greek people uh, keep electing um, officials who represent the you know opposing uh, extremes. So uh, there was just a, a vote there, and and it seems like no matter what. You know, election or ballot measure initiative, or whether they're going to vote to uh, on something related to their relationship with the European Union, or they're going to vote on uh, the the euro, or they're going to any there. It it's always accompanied by shots of a guy or fifty people in the streets throwing Molotov cocktails at police cars, and I I, I just wonder if that is if government policy. Is uh, is really affected by that, um, or if kind of global sentiment is being provoked by that? Are we supposed? I mean, you we walk around every day and you sort of think, oh wow, those tr- the trouble in Europe's really bad, man. Oh, it's bad. 
and Greece. It's all going to start with Greece and Spain. It's all going to be Greece and Spain. Really? Um, okay, explain to me. Explain to me how how it works that the the dominoes fall. That when one economy is in a disaster shape, uh, even if that economy is infinitesimal in size compared to others, uh, is that is it mood swings between the governments in the European Union? Is it is it some actual bona fide economic uh, economics that are in play? You know, when when you know, is there like a tipping point that can be reached when the taxes are so this and the so anyway, anyway, so we're going to take a peek at austerity programs today. Um, I have one clip that I want to play that is, and I'm going to play it. Um, it was found on the uh, the interwebs uh, by Mac by Mackenzie Aston, and it is. Um, I just thought it really encapsulated. Uh, it's on YouTube. You can just anybody can YouTube it. Um, let me just see if I can pull it up again. The uh, and the graphics they use, I don't think we're going to be able to show the graphics on screen here, which is such a bummer. But um, it's, I think it's uh, the, Watson, the Watson Institute and Mark Blythe. So anybody who's uh, familiar with this will know it. Why don't I go ahead and play it? You got Mark's picture to throw up there? There's two, actually. So um, I'm going to play it, and then I want to actually play it like stop and start it. Because there's phrases that just kind of fly right by you, and you think, wait, 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 that that seemed important, but I really don't understand it. So I'm just going, we have the the opportunity on this show to slow things down a little bit and to really see, oh, there he is. There's Mark Blythe, austerity. See, doesn't that look good? Pull up YouTube and follow along. Um, by the way, at the bottom of the show, the second half of the show, we have uh, we have three people who are going to call in, and we're going to have a panel discussion among non-experts about austerity measures and what we think they are and what we think they mean. So I'm really excited. That's a, a new segment of the show. We've had micro-debates. We've had the Hyde, Hyde Park Corner, and we've had uh, a lot of uh, some different things. But anyway, so the, the first um, roundtable, it's not a table, it's a phone uh, panel discussion. But let me go ahead and play this, this uh, Watson Institute um, clip. And and first, and let's see what we let's see what we think about it. Here it comes. There we go. Live. Austerity. It's big in Europe. It's getting big here. Everyone in the Prime Minister's been talking about it. But what is it? It's the common sense on how to pay for the massive increase in public debt caused by the financial crisis. Mostly through the slashing of government services. First you take on debt, then you pay it off. Sounds simple, right? So just so you know, it's a, it's a YouTube clip, and there's these wonderful graphics uh, going by, and, and they're punctuated with little bleeps and bloops and things that, uh, that seem to go perfectly with the image. And, and if you're listening to it on the radio, it might seem a little bit distracting. So just uh, be patient with it and try and listen to what the guy's saying. Unfortunately, it's never that simple, because austerity confuses virtue with vice. Let me explain why. Now that supposedly the worst of the crisis is over, there's debt everywhere. Credit cards, mortgages, government debt. This is the part you know. But we need to remember how we got here. Two years ago, the world's financial system exploded. The crisis blew a $2 trillion hole in financial space-time. And collectively, the rich governments of the world spent, lent, or guaranteed between 5 and 50% of their country's annual products saving the banks. Given this, you might think that a period of austerity is a good idea. 
But to see why it's not, you have to think about the world as a series of balance sheets. I, I know. Stay with me. Whether you're a person, a household, a firm, or a state, you have assets and liabilities. A balance sheet. Before the crisis in 2008, everyone took on a lot of debt. Back then, it made sense for many of us to take on debt. For example, the bottom 40% of the U.S. income distribution hasn't had a real wage increase since 1979. Really, that's true. Corporates, especially banks, did the same. But they did it to make money rather than to pay the bills. It's called leverage, which is pretty much debt seen from a different perspective. Levering up is a little like going double or nothing in blackjack. If you've taken on debt from a mortgage, you hope your house will increase in value. If you think there's a high chance the value will increase, you might go double or nothing and take on a bigger mortgage. But like blackjack, there's always the risk of losing. So the banks created mountains of debt. They levered up 20, 30 times. It was like they pushed in all the blackjack chips, but each chip was just an IOU. So when it all went wrong, governments felt they had to step in and bail them out because they'd become too big to fail. This is where the balance sheet problem comes in and why the common sense of austerity is not so simple. If you're levered up in debt and your assets lose value, your house or your housing derivatives portfolio if you're a bank, your balance sheet as a whole is now underwater. When this happens, whether you're a corporate treasurer or a single mom, if you've got cash coming in, you'll want to pay down the debt to bring your balance sheet above water rather than spend money, which means no one is spending. And that's when the government comes in. If the whole private sector is deleveraging, paying back debt, then government automatically levers up to compensate. Tax revenue falls, so the deficit increases. Unemployment benefits kick in, and public consumption takes the place of private consumption. Now make no mistake, the problem is debt. There is too much of it across the board, and we need to clean those public and those private balance sheets. But all these pieces are connected. If the public sector cleans its balance sheet at the same time as the private sector, then the whole economy craters. It's called a fallacy of composition. What's good for any one household or firm or even state is a disaster if we all try it at once. So why then have most governments of the world decided to do exactly this and all at the same time? Well, remember that $2 trillion hole in space-time? The answer is that someone has to pay for it. And no one, especially the banks, wants to. So governments have to either increase taxes, difficult, or slash services, easier. Especially when the policy has the common sense ring of virtue about it. Austerity. The pain after the party. But here's the kicker. The hangover of austerity is not going to be felt the same across the income distribution. Earlier this year, the Forum for the Governments of the World's Most Economically Developed States, the Group of 20, called for growth-friendly fiscal consolidation. Which, like a unicorn with a bag of magic salt, is a nice idea but is pretty much bull****. Precisely because this consolidation doesn't hit everyone in the same way. Remember those folks in the bottom 40% of the income distribution that didn't really benefit from the financial boom? All they got was debt and the illusion of prosperity. They're the ones that actually use government services, those services that are about to be so virtuously consolidated. Those at the top end of the income distribution, those who made the mess in the first place, don't. So where does this common sense virtue of austerity leave us? It leaves us in a cycle where those at the bottom end of the income distribution pay for those at the top with the same stagnant and skewed incomes that now buy less in a more unequal and unstable economy. 
There's a term for this, class politics, and it usually ends badly. This common sense of austerity, of reducing public debt all at once through slashing services, involves a question of equity. Who pays and who doesn't? Those who made this mess won't, while those who already paid for it through the bailouts will pay again through austerity. This is why austerity is not common sense. It's a nonsense and a dangerous one at that. You there? Okay, so we're back. Uh, all right, so that was um, uh, that was the Watson Institute of Brown University. Uh, Mark Blythe uh, presenting a, a, a fun little thing on austerity, and he, you know it's really it's really highly entertaining if you're looking at it because they use all these little cartoon graphics and things. And when you're listening to it, it takes on a decidedly more um, uh, yeah, just kind of chalky uh, flair, but when I first watched it, it seemed apolitical. It just seemed like this is an explanation of what's going on here, and, and if you want to understand it better, look at it. When I was just listening to it that time, it's, it, that time, it sounded decidedly more liberal and kind of anti-austerity measures. Um, and I'm wondering if anybody listening to the show has a thought about that, if they thought that this guy and the Institute uh, seemed to be promoting a particular agenda or not. Because what I noticed is it, it seems like with these sorts of complicated issues, if we can find somebody who explains it well, who seems to really, you know, just be on top of it, they got a grasp on it, we sort of abdicate our own further understanding to that person. And by, you know, by having affinity with that person, then somehow we are included in that person's expertise. Oh, no, no, no. Have you have you seen Krugman or have you seen what uh, so-and-so's got to say on the matter? I think this, that, or the other thing is great. And it only goes as far as that. But I wonder if our understanding is really, uh, you know, fully realized in doing that. So so I think it's important to, to get the, the full benefit of what this guy's saying. Um, and then uh, to keep it in uh, and to understand the context of it, to see what particular... Um, what particular viewpoint he's coming from. So are you sneaking up the music now? Is that what's happening? All right, so lots more on austerity measures. We're going to have a couple of interviews from last week that I didn't get to that uh, that we really should be heard, and uh, we've got our panel discussion uh, coming up in a half hour. Okay, thanks, everybody. See you in a minute. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. What's up, Toad Heads? It's Frank Kramer, Heidi Hamilton. Hey everybody. From the Heidi and Frank Show. Reminding you that if you have satellite radio, you can check us out every single Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Extreme Talk Channel 165. 9 p.m. 9 p.m. E- Eastern. Uh, on the East Coast, yeah, on Extreme Talk XM 165. And if you don't have satellite radio, well, you're on the Toad Hop Network, so why not check out the Heidi and Frank Show, the backbone of the whole thing. 10 a.m. to noon every single week. The premium package. But you can listen for free every day, 10 a.m. to noon Pacific time. Check us out, Heidi and Frank. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange, when you're strange, when you're 
Listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Hey there, everybody. We are back. We are back. Um, I am follow- I'm monitoring the Twitter feed right now, and we see that. Um, a couple of people listened to that video and thought for sure that it was a left-leaning, a left-leaning video. So, um, so that's good. Let's let's go. Let's. I want to play a little bit of it again, and we'll, we'll sort of stop and start and see what we uh, see what we come up with. And I'll give you my interpretation of it, and you all can think, see, you know, think through it yourselves. And I wish you had the graphics to look at, but we don't have that technology yet. So, um. austerity. It's big in Europe. It's getting big here. Everyone in the prime minister has been talking about it. But what is it? It's the common sense on how to pay for the massive increase in public debt caused by the financial crisis, mostly through the slashing of government services. All right, mostly through the slashing of government services. I've got a, an article here in front of me that, uh, okay, the top of it is cut off. Um, it's a financial magazine article. Great. No, I can't tell you what it is. But anyhow, let me just read you um, what it says. Um, where to begin? Uh, take taxes. Do they count as an austerity measure? The Washington, Washington Examiner says no. You'd think European austerity was just about spending cuts. Quite the contrary. Although Paul Krug, okay, that's we'll skip that. Uh, in many, uh, in many cases, tax is the largest part uh, in the European austerity package. Uh, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, Lordy knows what they do, but it sounds important. Uh, reports that tax hikes, tax increases, made up forty-seven percent of France's deficit reduction package. So almost half raising taxes, half cutting spending, 47%. Uh, 21.5 billion out of 46 billion. Um, in Greece, 54% of their austerity package came from higher taxes. So basically, they're just saying raise taxes. Uh, not just saying it, but, but raising taxes is a very important part of dealing with their, uh, 
their financial problems. Uh, in Portugal, the breakdown was 62% tax hikes and only 38% spending cuts. Gosh, don't you wonder, like, if they're taxing the people who then they're also giving the services to? I really don't understand how that works. Um, such reliance on tax increases is the exact opposite of what economic historian recommends, according to this article. As a recent OECD, that's that same Organization for American Cooperation and Development States, report concluded that uh, international experience shows expenditure-based financial consolidation tends to be more successful than increasing taxes. All right, let's get that. Let's listen carefully, folks. Expenditure-based fiscal consolidation expenditure things we spend fiscal consolidation like don't spend so much you want to go to the movies you go once a month instead of three every every other week okay uh so it tends to be more successful than increasing taxes that's a big that's a big statement right there nevertheless um is it right uh, to it's right to warn against redefining austerity so that tax hikes don't count okay so what do we learn austerity isn't just cutting it's also tax hikes uh, which we already knew. Um, let's keep listening to our uh, our good friend here. One key to understanding austerity is that it doesn't map neatly onto the right-left divide in Western politics. Uh, another key is that some approaches to austerity are better for fostering economic growth, the growth than others. That sounds like a conservative statement to me. Um, lower taxes fuels the economy. Is, is the is the uh, conservative angle. All right, let's let's read a little more. I'm talking through these things because, to me, when when people start going through it, you know, even people who understand it or say they understand it or think they understand it, these buzzwords blow by, and to me, it just makes really understanding it impossible. So, so I just want to go slowly, bit by bit, call in and explain it to me like I'm five years old, you know, and we'll 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 see. Uh, First, you take on debt, you then you pay it off. Sounds simple, right? Unfortunately, it's never that simple. Okay. Not simple to take it to to incur debt and pay it off. Never that simple. Buy buy a house with a big loan. You got to work to pay down the the thing. You got to pay down the loan, and you got to pay the the interest, and then you got to pay down the principal, right? So he's saying it, it's never as simple as just paying it off. Because austerity confuses virtue with vice. Let me austerity confuses virtue with vice. Hmm. Interesting. The word austerity to me sounds like a noble sacrifice. Like poor people, you're going to be just a little bit poorer, but it's okay because you're part of a collective suffering that's in the interests of the, the overall. That's what it sounds like to me when I hear about austerity package. Um, and I've got some good uh, good cartoons. Why don't you go, get ready to put up some of those cartoons? Because that's a little fun visuals to take out, sting out of the boringness of this topic. But you've got, we have to understand this. Where can you go? Where can the where can the public go? You know, I guess you can go to iTunes University and find a Yale economist who's talking about this, and you can invest your time watching it. But like, where do you where do you where else do you go where you can where where the news isn't just throwing it at you real fast? Anyway, here we go. Explain why. Now that supposedly the worst of the crisis is over, there's debt everywhere. Credit cards, mortgages, government debt. This is the part you know. But we need to remember how we got here. Two years ago, the world's financial system exploded. Four the crisis blew a $2 trillion hole in financial space-time. Oh, now there's an interesting thing. It blew, this is what the guy says, it blew a $2 
should he say, a two trillion dollar hole in financial space time? In financial space time, I had to look that one up because it sounded a little bit like Back to the Future. You know, where's the flux capacitor that's going to help us not have to live with austerity measures? You know, 1.21 gigawatts. Anyhow, uh, this is what I looked up. A new space-time model for volatility clustering in the financial market. Oh, man. Put your feet up for this one. This is good. A new space-time model for interacting agents on the financial market is presented. It is a combination of the Curie-Weiss model... I suppose those are people who anyone who studied economics would know the way we know. The rest of us know, you know, McDonald's. But anyhow, so there's the Curie-Weiss financial model and the space-time model introduced by, it says, J. Arp, 2005. Properties of the model are derived with a focus on the, okay, this is where I, I had to read it three times because I wasn't sure we were still talking about financial anymore. Focus on the critical temperature and magnetization. Anyone? Uh, it turns out that the Hamiltonian is a sufficient, a sufficient statistic for the temperature parameter, and thus statistical interference about this parameter can be performed. Now, come on, I know a couple of you are wonky, and I know a couple of you are, you know, you sit at your computers and you got access to this great data. Come on, you didn't follow that. Tell me you didn't follow that. Uh, thus, example, statements about how far the current financial situation is from a financial crisis can be made. And financial trading stability be monitored for detection of malicious risk indicating signals. Wow. I wonder what that guy got in his SAT. <laughs> um, I honestly don't know what that means. It just sounds cool. You know, you always hear Keynesian economics. I've heard, I've listened to it. I've listened to studies. I've read books. I don't know what it is. Keynesian economics, supply and demand. Okay, so uh, let's go back and hear what he's got to say again, and see if we can make any sense in context what he's saying about the. Uh, I mean, this guy. When you watch the video, it seems very clear. You watch and you go, okay. I really, you know what? I feel like I really understand austerity a little bit more. When when uh, my Twitter feed blows up because uh, you know people are out in the streets doing you know Occupy Athens, I'll feel better about what I'm what I'm seeing because I I saw this thing, and then you start to pull up the thread a little bit and you're like, well maybe I didn't. When I didn't say I understood it, I couldn't have given the lecture. I just like basically understood it. Listen. Or you know, but we need to remember how we got here. Two years ago, the world's financial system exploded. The crisis blew a $2 trillion hole in financial space-time. And collectively, the rich governments of the world spent, lent, or guaranteed between 5 and 50% of their country's annual products saving the banks. Spent, lent, or borrowed 50% of its, did you say growth product, its annual revenue, whatever it was. Let's go back. Let's listen to it again. It seemed like he combined a couple interesting things there. Oh, I just lost the place. Let's see. Yes, you might think that a period of austerity is a good idea. But to see why it's not, you have to think about the world as a series of balance sheets. Even 50% of their country's annual oh, products okay, in financial space time. And collectively, the rich governments of the world spent, lent, or guaranteed between 5 and 50% of their country's annual products. Okay. Spent, lent, or guaranteed between five and fifty percent. So I don't know about I don't know about uh, my guy here. 
I don't know, Mark is Mark. He just wrote it off. There's a huge difference between five and fifty percent of the government. Um, and uh, spent lent or guaranteed. If you guarantee something, that doesn't mean you've actually spent it. It's not off your ledger, right? It's still, it's still kind of. I, it's committed. I get that, but. All right, so let's uh, let's hear what happens to the fact that during the financial crisis, the governments all of a sudden had to, in some way, if I'm understanding Mark correctly, redirect half of their, uh, well, from 5 to 50% of their money in ways that it hadn't been used before. That's what I'm getting out of it, that they were all of a sudden obligated to do something totally different because of the financial crisis. Giving the bonds. Given this, you might think that a period of austerity is a good idea. But to see why it's not, you have to think about the world as a series of balance sheets. I, I know. Stay with me. Whether you're a person, a household, a firm, or a state, you have assets and liabilities. A balance sheet. Before the crisis in 2008, everyone took on a lot of debt. Back then, it made sense for many of us to take on debt. For example, the bottom 40% of the U.S. income distribution hasn't had a real wage increase since 1979. Okay. Somebody fact check that. The bottom half hasn't had a real uh, wage increase since the late seventies. That's interesting. Really, that's true. Corporates, especially banks, did the same, but they did it to make money rather than to pay the bills. It's called leverage, which is pretty much debt seen from a different perspective. Leverage is pretty much debt seen from a different perspective. Okay. The graphics make it so cute. He's got this uh, little triangle with a teeter-totter on it, and then he's got the picture of a bank with money on it, and when he says leverage, it kind of makes the thing go up, and I'm like, I don't get it. Okay, here we go. Levering up is a little like going double or nothing in blackjack. If you've taken on debt from a mortgage, you hope your house will increase in value. If you think there's a high chance the value will increase, you might go double or nothing and take on a bigger mortgage. But like blackjack, there's always a risk of losing. Always the risk of losing. I guess you can go into the blame assignment game there. I always, I love the phrase credit default swaps, but go the ahead. The banks created mountains of debt. They levered up 20, 30 times. It was like they pushed in all the blackjack chips, but each chip was just an IOU. They levered up 30, 20 to 30 times what? What they had, what they, what, like 20, 30%. I don't know. This is where we need an economist. If you're an economist, would you please call? We need rescuing right now. So when it all went wrong, governments felt they had to step in and bail them out because they'd become too big to fail. This is where the balance sheet problem comes in and why the common sense of austerity is not so simple. If you're levered up in debt and your assets lose value, your house or your housing derivatives portfolio if you're a bank, your balance sheet as a whole is now underwater. When this happens, whether you're a corporate treasurer or a single mom, if you've got cash coming in, you'll want to pay down the debt to bring your balance sheet above water rather than spend money, which means no one is spending. And that's when the government comes in. If the whole private sector is deleveraging, paying back debt, then government automatically levers up to compensate. Tax revenue falls. All right, so that's that's... That seems like the crux of the uh, of the argument, the big argument in presidential politics right now and in, in national economic conversations is do you let people use more of their own money? And, and this all through the Bush age, this is what you heard. Do you let people use their money, meaning cut their taxes so they have more money to spend so that they're spending money on 
goods and services and things that grow the economy that make create jobs so those people with jobs can pay you know can, can contribute by paying in taxes from the money they're earning and and it's this wonderful flowing growth uh environment or do you try and directly quickly you know skip that the time it takes for that process to kick in and just start uh, raising the taxes so you have the money on hand right away so that you can provide the much needed uh, social services of the government and other you know military and everything else that the government the government does so um so that that seems to be like the 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 crux of it and it seems like austerity measures basically say we're going to look to people's daily lives to and and finding ways to get them personally to sacrifice more actually i have a uh, uh the restless uh the restless auditor uh, wrote, uh, this economic downturn, sometimes referred to as a recession, means you have to learn how to do less with more. So I don't know if this is when belt tightening becomes austerity. I'm not really sure. But uh, I guess once the people start to get angry and do something about it. But uh, but anyhow, the process uh, the process need not alarm you, however, because you have the, uh, the restless auditor in your corner. Below, I'll outline six ways to cut spending and six exciting ways to transform your personal revenue stream from a gentle brook to thundering rivers of financial goodness. He calls it the personal austerity plan for prosperity. So... First, half of the equation, cut expenses, the auditor recommends. For example, bill your pizzas to your neighbor. Use credit cards for most routine daily expenditures, probably carrying an 18% uh, interest fee. Uh, definitely apply for more and more credit cards so that you can do that more. Uh, take out uh, large equity loans to fund you know, your vacations and, and other lavish uh, items. Um, <laughs> he writes, start hoarding small animals, cats, rabbits, goats, horses, think protein. Not sure that we want to go there in this discussion yet, what happens with mass hysteria. But, um, okay, uh, stop using lights and heat. I guess that's a pro-cuddling argument. Uh, learn to dumpster dive, or as I like to call it, going doing the dumpster backstroke. So, uh, it's funny. Uh, okay, income increasers, get a job. Risky, he writes. Uh, work from home in your spare time. Okay. Turn your gold into cash at Bubba's. Bubba uses a fair 1931 gold rate in his exchange calculation. Uh, rent or sell your neighbor's home while on vacation. I'm not sure if he means while you're on vacation or they are. So they go out for vacation. You sell their home. When they get back, uh, maybe you split the profits with them. I don't know. Uh, obtain coupons from extreme couponers. Let them do all the clipping. This is the kind of common sense solution we're going to need in this country. People thinking outside the box, getting creative with it. Um, okay. No joking matter, though. It is a joking matter. Sometimes it's good to joke about things. But anyhow, um, real people's lives are affected. So let's – actually, that's some of the best uh, satiric writing is when people are really suffering. So silver lining in every client? I don't know. Uh, whoever said you can't spend money – uh, you don't have was only partially correct. The fact is you can spend money you don't have. You just can't do it forever. Uh, and he says that Greece is learning that the hard way. Again, this is uh, from an article. on that Our research thing didn't work well because I really like to cite the articles. And right now I'm just having to say austerity measures, why you're going down like Greece is the name of it. I think it might come from Forbes. Um, but somehow when we copied and pasted it into my program here, it's all uh, – that's all gone. Uh, okay, so it's uh, me, the, uh, the somehow the head, headers with the n authors are gone. So, but we still want to read it. Um, whoever said you can, okay? Um, 
when in the midst of a long global recession, many European governments, Spain, Portugal, Greece, have enacted austerity measures uh, to battle unsustainable levels of deficit spending, one thing has become clear about these austerity measures. They work. Okay, here's a person arguing for austerity measures. Uh, for example, deep cuts in spending have helped Spain reduce its deficit 50, 53% during the first half of this year. All right, so they were in trouble. They cut spending by over half. Gosh, can you imagine that in this country? Can you imagine what you would cut if you had to say every one out of every $2 you have to lose, 50 cents out of every dollar you have to lose in this country of what our government spends? So... Instead of having half a million soldiers, you'd have like 250,000. Instead of having, well, you have to cut out half the roads and half the bridges. What? How do you do that? How do you cut half the spending in a country? It has to be on the backs of the working people of the country. It has to be. Um, so you wonder, okay, great. They got it down to 53%. Whew. At what cost? What, what do the lives of the, the people look like? Because if you're seeing rioting in the streets or people are getting restless and uneasy, I'm sure there's a relationship between those numbers. Uh, If you think you need to apply some austerity measures to your current financial situation, make sure you understand that austerity isn't fun. Great. Oh, gosh, this is like my dad. (laughs) This is like my dad. Uh, If you need to apply some austerity measures to your current financial situation, make sure you understand that austerity isn't fun. But being honest about your bleak financial situation isn't supposed to be fun. It means changing the lifestyle that got you into trouble in the first place. Now, here's the thing. Usually they mean people have to change their lifestyles. But people's lifestyles, in general, you know, broadly speaking, are not so awful. People I say, oh, they've got a, look at it, everybody's got a plasma screen TV, and, like, they're not, plasma screen TVs aren't that expensive anymore. You know, if you think of somebody, how much time and entertainment they get out of it when they could be, who know, I don't know. So to me, the, the working person, uh, it's not their lifestyle that really should be under review. It's the lifestyle of the government uh, that should be under review. Um, in terms of, yeah, of course, what are we? The government is the people. These are hard issues, man. Um, period, oh, and then it's saying there are periodic expenses in our budget that are predictable, like rent, mortgage, phone, cable, internet, blah, blah, blah. Uh, these are roughly the same every month, but our uh, budget usually gets blown up on non. So I when during it was easy to understand this issue to me during the uh, the, the Bush administration because all of a sudden we had OIF and then we uh, we had Afghanistan and then Operation Iraqi Freedom and those ha- carried a a price tag that went anywhere from seven hundred million to one point two trillion depending on who was talking about it at a given moment and it was uh, written out of a supplemental bill. So you sort of go, well, that's not that's that is like a vacation you take out of the blue, uh, you know. Ne- never mind the uh, just putting aside the human, you know, cost of that and people sacrifice. Just just looking at it from a pure economics standpoint, um, you know, those two wars were a major blip in the radar. And I know people always talk about no child left behind and the unfunded mandate is a big thing. So, um, anyhow, what can we say? When it gets right down to it, what it's really all about is that in this country, ostensibly, the people have a choice about how we live. We have the freedom to do what we want to do. And austerity measures are so far a European um, example of those freedoms being taken away 
from the working people of those countries under the heading, you know, it's for their own good. Um, and it's for the good of the, the local economy and it's for the good of the European economy and therefore the, the global economy. Um, he talks about Mark, I'm not going to try and find it right now, but Mark talks about, uh, well, let's listen because I think he's just about there. There's, there's a, a phenomenon that he describes that is interesting to me that if you do something in your personal economy or the company does something that's really good for it specifically, that that's fantastic. But if everybody does it specific, you know, at the same time, even though it's in their own individual good, collectively it'll be bad for them. So let's hear if he can. Well, so the deficit that. increases. Unemployment benefits kick in and public consumption takes the place of private consumption. Now, make no mistake, the problem is debt. I don't know what that means. Public consumption versus private consumption. Help. I think I'm a smart guy. Public, you know, private consumption means that you pay for things using your private money and public consumption means you pay for the same things only with money that comes from the government. Is that what that means? Do I get a, some sort of a gold star? There is too much of it across the board and we need to clean those public and those private balance sheets. But all these pieces are connected. If the public sector cleans its balance sheet at the same time as the private sector, then the whole economy craters. If the public and the private balance sheets are corrected at the same moment, then it's bad. The economy craters, he says. Okay. Is anybody, you guys following? Is anybody else following this? Oh, this is Lawrence, Kansas. Is anybody out there? It's a reference from 1978, 82, something like that movie, the day after. Okay. It's called a fallacy of composition. What the fallacy of composition. The fa Say it together, everybody. The fallacy of composition. He's describing a phenomenon wherein if everybody does the same thing at the same time, even though it's good for people individually, it'll be bad for everyone. I don't understand. What's good for any one household or firm or even state is a disaster if we all try it at once. So why then have most governments of the world decided to do exactly this and all at the same time? Well, remember that $2 trillion hole in space-time? The answer is that someone has to pay for it. And no one, especially the banks, wants to. So governments have to either increase taxes, difficult, or slash services, easier. Especially when the policy has the common sense ring of virtue about it. All right, so we're about to go to a break here in a minute. But what I want people to think about, and what I think we'll talk about in the panel in a few minutes here, is... Uh, what services does the government provide us that are likely to be on the the chopping block or at least up for a trim? A uh, little haircut. Is it uh, is it just Medicare, and Medicaid? Is it our retirement benefits? Is it our you know what are we what what really are we talking about? Is it schools? Is it teachers? Or is it uh, you know is it is it the military? Like what what is it that's likely to get get cut under austerity measures? Um, and how much are tax increases, uh, you know, how do we value the, the, the relative way? This is it. This is what we argue about. This is what we all argue about in this country. But I, I feel like the arguments are based on platitudes and simple understandings rather than really trying to under, get the nuance of it. Um, and you know, there are these, these economic theories that are out there that, uh, 
we all sort of defer to, except for the fact that we don't care what they think anyway because we just know that we don't want our taxes raised or we just know that we want certain programs to stay in effect. And, and uh, you know, I just uh, continue to feel like we, we need to keep at this. So I'm really looking forward to this panel in the next uh, – I think we're going to do it when we come back from the break. We'll see if we can get people on the phone here. Jason, go ahead and uh, call in anybody else. Okay. Uh, excited. Looking forward to this. Thanks, everybody. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Hi, my name is Miles L. Berman. I'm known as Top Gun DUI Defense Attorney. We know how to fight your case and we know how to win. Me and my team of attorneys concentrate in representing people arrested for DUI. Call 888-4-TOP-GUN. That's 888-4-TOP-GUN. Or visit our website at TopGunDUI.com. Because friends don't let friends plead guilty.
Popular voice of the occasionally interested people. My name is Sean Aston. I am your host. Give a call in 888-520-4374. Towards the end of the panel, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you're on the Toad Hop Network, and we are discussing austerity measures. Uh, I have something I want to read at the bottom of that other article. I believe it's a Forbes article. Uh, it says, it's a difficulty. Okay, it says, um, the Buffett rule. So one of the things that we talk about is, like, are you going to... Uh, you know, raise taxes, or you're going to cut spending, or some balance of both, or so on and so forth. And uh, and and Democrats, um, President Obama and Jimmy Buffett said, you know, I, I should be uh, the the wealth the wealthy should be paying more of their fair share. And uh, the the conservatives, Mitt Romney and others, would say that you know, no, what has to happen is we have to rein in spending. The government spends more money, and obviously both things are true um, to some degree. So uh, this is what this article says: the Buffett rule emanates from a single predicament. Tax increases can be fiscally responsible. But given America's current tax burden, significant tax increases are irresponsible. That's why the case for tax increases can be framed in terms of morals, not economics. Yeah, that sounds like Forbes article. Um, there's an, <laughs> the, uh, the rich are asked to surrender up a chunk of their income that's substantial from their standpoint, but an act of tokenism from a budgetary and deficit standpoint to better gin up a sense of fairness and shared sacrifice, or frankly, to ensure that the better off takes some kind of punishment that's morally measurable by a standard we use to monitor what the worse off are experiencing. That's really, I, I think that's a really useful paragraph. It just kind of gets it all in there using, you know, a, a moral uh, a moral case as as opposed to an economics case um you know within a kind of simplistic way versus using an economics case at the complete uh ignoring of other people's plight uh the last little bit of this and I want to read then we're going to go we'll start I see Michelle's on the line um the absurdist quality of this approach to policymaking is it has a King Midas effect, making everything it touches more surreal. It's caused Republican presidential candidates, for instance, to irrationally, this is before Romney, uh, reject on principle a hypothetical 10 to 1 cuts to taxes deal. We'll cut spending by $10 for every $1 you increase in taxes. The Republicans rejected it out of hand for reasons passing understanding to me, but for reasons I'm sure that they would be uh, more than eager to defend. Uh, part of the reticence comes from experience. Taxes go up, spending cuts never materialize. But the root of it is the paradox of the best tax increases 
to include in a financially responsible budget are, from the budget standpoint, too small to be decisive. It's a paradox that causes tax hikers to always cry out for more and spending cutters to never budge on tax rates. Put two and two together, and what you get is a failure to legislate austerity. No massive tax increases, but no massive spending cuts either. That's what's happening in America and Europe. That's why both economies are still struggling, and that's why we can't say austerity has failed, because according to this article, it hasn't been tried yet. All right, I have my panelists on board. I'm so excited. Uh, Let me go to the phones. Michelle, can you hear me? I can hear you. Thank you so much for jumping on. Sure. All right, I'm going to plug in Jason, and there's a third caller just there as well. I'm going to plug in Jason so we can get our little panel going. Hold on. Jason. Yo. Michelle. Yeah. Wow. We've got our little conference call action going here. This is high tech. All right, we have one more caller who's calling through. Um... Were you guys able to hear that last little riff that I read uh, from what I think is Forbes? Yeah, it's from Forbes magazine? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michelle, just tell the listeners for a second who you are and where you're from and, and, and you're kind of, yeah, just so we can get a little introductory. Okay. Um, my name is Michelle. I live in St. Augustine, Florida. I'm 29. And right now I do temp work. Cool. Jace. Uh, Jason, uh, live in, uh, live in Canton, Ohio, work in Cleveland. I actually work in the arts, and so I'm a, uh, rare breed here working in the arts and, uh, am a conservative. What does it mean working in the arts? You got like, you're in the, like a, a, a craft factory or something? I don't know. <laughs> no, I actually, I, uh, I work for one of the largest, um, uh, performing arts centers in the country in Cleveland. So we really? we bring in all the Broadway tours and um, a lot of big concerts and that sort of thing. Wow, cool. All right, and I think I have, uh, I think I have Brett on line three. So hold on one second, okay, Jason, Michelle, hold on. Brett, do I have you? Yes, sir, you do. And just for uh, clarity's sake, Michelle, I have you and and Jason both. Still. All right, uh, Brett. I know you're uh, you're reg- you're p- almost a co-host with me, but go ahead and just do a quick little few second introduction of yourself for the listeners. Hi, uh, my name is Brett. I uh, am an IT administrator uh, for Duval County Public Schools in Jacksonville. Hang on, guys. Sorry, sorry. I'm just doing a tech thing here. Hold on. Okay. Should I have all three of them? Okay. Okay. So, Jason, if you can hear me, I have to. I have to push a button to let, uh, hear you speak. Hopefully, you can still hear what we're saying. Um, okay. So, so, and where would you c- consider yourself, Brett, on the uh, political spectrum, if anywhere? Uh, I consider myself a Goldwater conservative. A Goldwater conservative. And Michelle, where are you at? I would have to say I was a liberal. Phew. I might have to uh, I might have to really pull pull out my liberal credentials with you so we can uh, we can be even because because uh, uh, these two are you know Jason and Brett are no joke. Um, I know. But yeah, of course, I, go ahead. But I, I talk to Jason on Twitter from time to time. You're right. He's pretty tough. Yeah, he's, he's hardcore hardcore conservative. I would say. Um, hold on. Let's uh, let him defend himself here. Uh, Jason, wait, can you hear me? Hardcore, I tell you, it, it, every time, you know, it's funny because I think conservative always needs some sort of, like, modifier, you know? Like, people say, 
ultra right wing or or hardcore conservative. I was just a friendly. Uh, I think when we say hardcore, we mean well researched. Oh, okay. All right, that's cool. Well, that's why. <laughs> hardcore means you care enough about your opinion to defend it. Good save. Gotcha. Okay, well, then I'm, I'm hardcore all the way. <laughs> oh, wow. See, like in a deposition, you could totally use that. Um, all right, Michelle, how do you th how do you think I did it just st stumbling through the, the environment of what uh, austerity uh, is for, for uh, you know, in this con? How did, how did, what am I missing? I'm sure I'm missing a ton, but, but what would you think? No, I think you pretty much nailed it. Um, I think as a, a big austerity... The idea of it isn't—it's not—it's not, it's not a, a small solution. When you say austerity, we think of serious situations. You know, like you see the the debt army coming at you, and everyone's landing in their tent somewhere, but everyone goes quick. Oh no, they're approaching! So you get your rocket launcher out and you blow them up. It's—it's it's one of those. It's like a hail mary thing. And I, someone mentioned that it's not the same thing as spending cuts. It's more intense. But I, so, a, but is it subjective? Is it in the eye of the behold, the the cut e the you know the the austere? Yeah, like most things, economics it's it's all subjective. I'm primarily a you know mathematician, but I found when I was researching economics that it's just as much philosophy because it's predicated on human beings and what they could do, what they they might do in the case of this situation. So. But I, I feel like sometimes uh, uh, us liberals, we we use that as um, well, maybe not. Maybe it's both sides. The, the unknown qu uh, quotient of what's possible for good or ill in terms of you know unbelievably new kinds of uh, you know productivity with the creation of the internet or whatever the next internet's going to be, or you know total you know people who are in, in a sloth mentality or something like that. Is that we can. You know, and I, and I got this from reading that Forbes article where they they talked about, uh, you know, the fact that the spending cuts in Spain or in France hadn't really happened f since the 70s. Like it hadn't gone over X percent. And I was thinking when I was reading it, well, what does it matter what happened in the 70s? What matters is where are they right now? What's happening right now? What's likely to happen in the next short bit of time? And and. And yet, I think those statistical realities shouldn't be totally ignored either. You can kind of, you should, you know, you should try and budget from a sense of experience, I would think, no? Well, I think that we have to view uh, debt as less of a number and more of a percentage of the gross domestic product, you know, your GDP. And I think that's where I find that austerity measures are, in my opinion, uh, a bad idea. Because although... They, they tend to work in a short run, but they you, you decrease the amount of jobs, you decrease consumer confidence, you decrease aggregate demand, you don't build your manufacturing base, you decrease aggregate supply, you decrease your GDP. So even if you decrease your deficit as a percentage of your GDP, you haven't actually achieved your goal. Okay, Jason, it, when we start factoring in these major philosophical and uh, political trends that are likely to have an impact over time. I mean, you're not going to make a decision today that's going to affect manufacturing so much in the next 18 months. I mean, maybe maybe some, but but you know, we're talking about civilization moving to the left or moving to the right. How do you how do you think it's important for people to approach 
you know, understanding t- whether or not tax cuts are too much or too little, or whether spending cuts should happen or not. How, wh- what's your, which, where do you start? Well, I think that there. I think that the, what we should be looking for is a sense of, of balance and fairness. Um, there's there's this um, notion. I think I've heard even President Obama himself say, "Well, we're gonna." I'm not, I don't want to build the economy from the top down. I want to build the the, the economy from the bottom up. And I, I, I just I, I I seriously cannot understand it. I wish somebody would explain that to me because I have never been hired by a poor person. Okay, I have never been given opportunity by those who have significantly less than I do. Um, so they might have had less at one time. I'm sorry. They might have had less at one time, and with access oh, to a good education and with opportunities they they worked themselves into a position where they had you know responsibility to be able to hire people well i think you're absolutely right i mean we're talking about uh, you know equality of opportunity not necessarily uh guaranteeing results so but by the time i get to them uh if they're there to offer offer me opportunity they've already been through the process so um in terms of building the economy from the bottom up as opposed to the top down that that concept is is really uh uh unclear to me but i just i want to go back to what michelle said real quick when she said something about it's a, you know, he, me, he means it in a tax way he means i'd rather tax wealthy people a little bit more than what they've been taxed and i'd rather make it so that working people don't have the tax so that when you're talking about who gets to use that money you know the, the right and and you know this forbes article basically more. says yeah. that those the margin of those is is so kind of negligible that that's not where the argument should be happening. But but anyhow, keep, keep going. Well, I, I you know to, to say taxed a little bit more, you know that that certainly is is subjective. Um, it's kind of like the minimum wage. Well, where does it end? Um, you know, so so eight dollars is not enough. And then it's ten dollars, and it's fifteen dollars, and it gets to the point. Well, why even why even bother bother having it? Um, as far as uh, and there's a lot of actually evidence to suggest that the minimum wage actually lowers wages as opposed to raising wages. But um, this notion that um, you know, there, first of all, there's never enough. There there seems to be, particularly in government, never enough money to go around, and the rich or the the wealthy are never paying enough. I, I want to just bring up the idea of baseline budgeting, which I think is really critical to this discussion. You know, we've never had, and maybe Brett can, can back me up here, we've never really had a significant cut in any government benefits at all. What happens is, when the budget's being prepared, they'll say, well, we're going we're gonna to raise this program, the funding for this program, by, say, 10, 11, 12 percent. But then they come back and they say, well, Republicans want to cut. Well, when the Republicans say they want to cut, that means we're not going to raise, we're going to change the, the, the level of growth. So instead of raising this program by 11, 12 percent, we can only afford to do it seven or eight. Believe me, these programs are not going down from year to year. So this austerity, I think, is, is, a, is a bit of a, you know, use another expression, a straw man. I think it's a phony argument. Um, it works a little bit better with the European model, um, but it's not going to work in the United States. And I think that it's um, a lot of just kind of fear tactics, quite honestly, because, Sean, as that article points out, it is not it does not line up nicely with the way the uh, left and right in this country sort of uh, define their views. Austerity is not, by definition, I don't think, a very American way or American approach. Well, that word certainly isn't going to work. Nobody, you're not going to see it in anybody's political slogans anytime soon. But, but I... <laughs> You know, it sounds uh, so, uh, Brett. We uh, just so you know, uh, we ha- we can only do two people able to talk at the same time, or else we get feedback. So that's why you got uh, the system dropped you, and then uh, so I see you there, and we'll we'll come to you in a second. Actually, can I do that? Can I can I put uh, J- put J- no, put Jason on hold? Uh, Michelle, hang in there. 
Okay. All right, so Michelle, are you still there? I'm sorry. And Brett, are you still there? Yes, sir. Okay, so and can Jason hear me even though he's on hold? He can. Okay, good. All right, so uh, did you hear what he was looking for backup with you in terms of whether or not uh, the government actually ever cuts anything once it starts spending it? Where do you, where do you come down on that one? Uh, it, he, it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. Um, you might get a small percentage off, but as a general rule, uh, especially at the federal level, uh, once it... it uh, makes its way through all the processes necessary to get approved, it's very, very rare that an entire program gets cut, uh, or even really substantially cut very much. Uh, and, and to echo what he was saying about the European model of austerity versus the United States, uh, it's a lot easier to uh, impose austerity in Europe. They spend twice as much money on a public basis than we do. So you cut them by half and you're breaking them down to about where we are. Um, you know, liberalism in, in Europe uh, versus conservatism, their, their conservatives are generally uh, to the left of our liberals um, as, a, as a general basis. And uh, so their, their spending is a completely different model and, and much, much higher in the public sector than we are. I mean, you have a country like Greece where literally 50% of the nation is, is uh, in the public sector. You know, that's one of the reasons why their their debt is so unsustainable, um, so much more so than ours is. We have different kinds of problems, um, and even if you could legislate, so why, why is their debt unsustainable? Because they're spending so much higher, obviously. But I mean, well, yeah, their 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 sovereign debt is is just ridiculous, and and it's so high. And they're part of the other problem is is you got to have confidence. Uh, in, in your sovereign uh, credit rating, basically, you know, if, if the people how's ours doing again? By the way, do we do we ever get back that uh, Michelin whatever it was <laughs> five star? No, no, we haven't yet, but we will uh, eventually. So many other nations tie their money to ours, um, which is one of the things that's kind of really irked the European Union is we keep devaluing our currency and uh, they tie everything to our currency. Um, we're, we're sort of the bellwether frequently um, for uh, other nations. I bet China's going to be a bellwether soon, and India. Uh, it's possible, but, um, yeah, you know, maybe. We'll, we'll 10, 10, 15 years, 20 years, once, they, once they're, you know, the standard of living for the lower-income people kind of comes up just a little bit, and, and they're, uh, they, you know. But, okay, before we get – sorry, I just totally was going to take us to China. Um, uh, Michelle – what do you um Jason had said uh, a, a thing about um you know it's in the eye of the beholder basically when i I kind of characterize Obama's position or i I, rep, I shared that Obama's position is the wealthy ought to cut just a little bit that little that little bit just a little bit just the word just you know who who's to say you know it's relative who who where do you where do you think it's fair for the majority of the American public to locate uh you know, do you think it should be a moral, a moral distinction? Well, you know, speaking about when he was talking about how you cut the deficit by increasing taxes, you have to look at how much money you can actually get out of those people. You know, you can't get blood from a turnip. If you're talking about tax increases as a means to decrease the deficit, then the, uh, I know I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but talking about tax increases on the bottom 50% of income earners is basically worthless because they possess something like 2% of the nation's wealth. Even the conservatives aren't suggesting you raise taxes on, on lower uh, the lower spectrum. They're just saying right. don't raise our taxes. 
Right, but then what if, if they're saying it's unfair to raise our taxes, uh, but we need to decrease the deficit somehow, then what's the other alternative? Are we going to raise taxes across the board, just raise their taxes, we're going to cut programs, but again, cutting programs primarily does influence the lower income earners, because those programs, programs provided by the government, which the higher income earners don't, don't partake in. And I don't like to demonize. I don't like when people use freeloaders and fat cats and that sort of thing, because we're a nation of corporations and we're a nation of people. We, we, we evolved into that state, and we have to accept that there has to be a cohabitation here. And so we have to address both of those as an idea. Well, if I might, I, I think the problem is we keep talking, or, or a lot of people keep talking about raising taxes. We don't need to raise taxes. We need to raise revenues. Now, if, if you raise taxes and as a marginal rate, what tends to happen is uh, you shelter the income more if you have the capability of doing so. So you raise taxes on the rent. All right, Brett, go back to sixth grade for me. It's, we talk about marginal rate, and you talk about You're sheltering. Right. Explain, me, explain me. Okay, the actual tax rate that we put on the sheet when you look how much tax rate you're supposed to spend, get as opposed to the tax rate that you actually pay after you get done with all your deductions. Okay. And the after deductions bit is the marginal rate. Right. So by, by the time we, if we raise the tax on, on anybody, it really doesn't matter at what level, you raise the tax, and by the time you get down to the amount they actually pay, it's not much of a raise, especially as you get further up the income spectrum because they have more capability to hide wealth, move wealth around, and eventually you tax them high enough and they just say, well, I'll just take all of my wealth and put it offshore. Uh, where you can't reach it, and I won't repatriate that wealth until it becomes, uh, you know, a good idea for me to do so financially. So if you raise the taxes on the rich, you just don't end up getting any money. I mean, we had a uh, what was the marginal or what was the rate uh, back before Reagan? Something like seventy-five, eighty percent. I forget. I'd have to look it up. But uh, was it that high? Wow. It was very, very high. But. Then you look at the amount that they actually paid, and it wasn't a heck of a lot higher than it is now. There was just so many other ways for them to shelter money and to get deductions and whatnot that uh, you know they don't end up paying that much. What you need to do is is get rid of deductions, get rid of loopholes, get rid of ways for you to hide income, and that tends to hurt everybody. But it hurts the rich a heck of a lot more than it hurts the poor, and you end up getting more revenue. I'm going to go to Jason. I'm put you on hold for a second. Sure. Does that do it? Top one. Okay. Jason, I'm just feeling you on this tax thing. <laughs> uh, I think that, uh, well, Brett's absolutely right. I mean, really what we need is we need a top-to-bottom um, replacement, I think, for the, the current tax code. And I'll just go back and say that we are we are really verging on the, uh, the, the tipping point where um, we're not uh, – we're, we're becoming a nation of – really two two sides we have the producers and we have the takers and we've got half the country now half the country is not paying any kind of income tax it's 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 very close to 50 percent that talk about something not being sustainable and uh one going back to one point that michelle said about uh, gdp and how we just you know gdp you know how government spending affects gdp and if you lower government spending it lower the gdp well that's just one portion of how we determine gdp we look at private consumption, we look at gross investment, we look at exports versus imports. Those are areas that encourage more growth and are better for the country than just kind of massive government spending. So if one of those has to go down, 
my money's on government spending, and let's uh, work uh, to uh, increase uh, the other three components. Michelle, say say that the uh, consensus becomes have to reduce government spending, just have to do it. And we kind of go with the notion that whether they're completely right or not, certainly, um, uh, you know, the common sense is that programs don't go away easily once they're, you know, instituted. Where do we go to? Where do we go to start doing that side of the equation? Where do we start? Where looking? do we? Where do we start cutting government spending? Yeah. Wow. Um, See, the military is the first place I think of, and then, and and then, but when it gets to the social side, that's where, you know, I don't. I, don't... I, I, did... I, I hate interrupting you. I'm sorry. No, no, please. Well, I do want to say one thing. I, I hear a lot of discussion about how if, if you raise the the riches uh, tax rate, then they will take their business elsewhere, which is which is probably true. But then it seems like everyone wants us to adopt this idea where the government steps back. That seems to be a conservative idea. Government steps back and the free market takes takes over. So then basically that would be, you're talking about the way we have now, corporations have the majority of the power. So we're saying that if we raise their taxes, then they'll just abandon everybody. But if we leave them alone, then they'll do the right thing. I, I have a problem rectifying that idea in my mind. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that's that would. I wouldn't want to put all my eggs in the uh, honor system honor system basket. Um, all right, so we're going to go to a commercial break, guys. Any of the three of you, if you can hang on, uh, it would be great. I, I think we're. I think it's more fun for me to talk with other people about this than to talk to myself. So hang in there if you can, and and we'll come back from a commercial in a minute. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. If you missed Gary Garver live. Now, I saw you on CNN last Friday, I believe it was, and you're running for governor. Now, what, 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 what happened? Why? <laughs> why would you want to do that? You know, you know what? I'll tell you why. There's this, there's this guy uh, who's a Virginia AG, and he's been, like, on my ass, like, 24-7, and he's basically using me to get his name out in the press and just wasting literally millions of dollars of taxpayers' dollars. Just some friends of mine got behind me and said, you know what, you should do it, we'll support you. And I decided to run for governor just to put an end to these ridiculous politicians constantly wasting money and doing these witch hunts. Gary Garver Live, Friday afternoons at 3 Pacific, only on the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Hey, it's Heidi and Frank for ScoreBig.com. There's been two ways to get tickets up until now. You can go to the venue or team site and buy your tickets directly. Or you can go to the big ticket sellers, the scalpers, if the tickets for the really big events are sold out. And you can pay way, way over face value. Who wants to do that? Who would do that? Nobody! That's stupid. You don't have to do that anymore. Thanks to ScoreBig.com, a great website where you always pay less than retail. And you never, ever, ever pay any ticketing fees at ScoreBig.com. And you can save up to 60%. On tickets. Every ticket on the ScoreBig website is below retail price. Guaranteed. Great events. Lakers, Clippers, Kings, USC, UCLA, Basketball, Disney Hall, Geffen Theater. Mention specific teams in a list. Well, you did. <laughs> and, uh... 
I think that's uh, perfect the way you did Those that. Those were teams in Southern California, but scorebig.com is everywhere. everywhere. I just had a, I got a tweet. global. I got a tweet from a guy saying he's got his Giants tickets and he saved 30%. Awesome. Thanks, scorebig.com. And that's what we're talking about. Uh, not just nosebleed seats, everything from the floor to the rafters. And again, no service or shipping fees ever. Your offer at scorebig.com is what you pay. Always listen to retail, never any fees, scorebig.com. Then type in Heidi and Frank to get uh, the, the passcode. Skip the line. Yeah. Start shopping right away. V- get your tickets today. VIP treatment. Don't here. wait. <laughs> type in Heidi and Frank. Do it right now. What are you still sitting here for? S-C-O-R-E-B-I-G.com. Proof why I was never a cheerleader. I can't spell. There's more proof than that. Live, live from Universal Studios Hollywood in beautiful Los Angeles, California. ToadHopNetwork.com. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Hello, everybody, and we are back from our break, ready to rejoin our invigorating discussion of austerity measures, which is kind of like saying a uh, invigorating, you know, root canal. But uh, you guys, are, the, my my panelists are rescuing me from myself, and I'm excited to go back to them. I just want to read a couple of um, comments that I pulled from the the uh, the tweeter. Uh, here's a couple of Twitter Twitter comments. One uh, was. Um, from Eva Mofo, who called in last week, it says the best one would be to reduce the salaries of elected officials. What do you think? I disagree with this particular one because I feel like you want the best people possible. You want to compete for the smartest minds and, and the best talent out there. And, and the way to do it in our current system is uh, is money. Um, and then another comment, um, Mary Du writes, um, which is, Akabezalel, I can't say her name, A-K-A-B-E-Z-A-L-E-L, Mary Dew. Uh, I raised two teenagers on $610 a month in the 90s. Austerity means nothing to the state. We made $10 uh, too much for help. Don't know what that last bit, bit meant, but uh, Lynn Henry uh, at uh, Tanza Rainbow writes, I feel government austerity measures generally increase disparity between affluent and those who are financially struggling. Um, Scarlett Morial writes, austerity is used by government in a crisis because it can be pointed to immediately as, see, we are trying, uh, not succeeding. Uh, it also creates easy scapegoats. So these programs and these people are why you are all suffering. Ignore bigger problems. And she put, likely, this is my favorite, likely we're going to a Keynes, uh, uh, Keynes, Kenzie and a Keynes versus Hayek economics debate, though those never go anywhere, trust me, she writes. Uh, which I just love it, because I would love to have those two people over for dinner and ask them to explain things to me. Oh, last one, uh, Ravenna Narun writes, austerity measures historically only worsen existing wealth gaps and tend to result in violence, i.e. post-World War I Germany. I'd argue the spending was enabled by uh, lax lending. Banks don't lend, nobody spends but will austerity fix it? Um, let's start there, uh, Brett. What do you think about this idea that when you start doing the austerity measures, uh, which we're clearly going to call something else in this country when they when it starts happening here, um, that they will inevitably increase the disparity between the wealthy and the non-wealthy? See, I asked him, but he's not there. Uh, hold on. 
somebody on hold first. That's on hold? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, Brett, did you hear that? Yeah, it's probably true. It's probably true. Yeah. But you're a uh, you're a you're an austerity guy, right? Uh, I'm not an austerity. First of all, we haven't had austerity, and no, neither has anybody in Europe since World War II. That was austerity. When you have to ration goods, now you're talking about austerity. What we're talking about is some cuts in government services. And that may cause some people to have austerity, but unless everybody's feeling the pain, it's, we're not in an austerity condition. Um, and and to, you know to what you said earlier, I think that's a really I think that is a really really good takeaway for this for this episode about the idea of austerity. That unless it's affecting everyone really hard, it's not an austerity condition um, because it gets you to the moral question of you know what is society's responsibility to protect those who are experiencing the austerity condition you know what's for them is an austerity experience and everyone else isn't and, and you know for most americans austerity means uh, you know all right i got to cut down on my data plan i mean it's <laughs> we're not you know the, the majority of us even those of us who are who are on the lower income spectrum which <laughs> as a public employee i'm right there um you know we have a heck of a lot more than you know i remember when my mom was a single parent with two two boys you know what being poor was as opposed to you know what we consider to be poor today, you know even on an average, you know um, it's it's we're we're cons our poor are considerably more wealthy than real poor. I mean, if you spend any time, you know, I think my head just exploded. If you spend any time in a third, <laughs> if you're poor, you're poor. Real poor is. If you're poor and you're and you're in you know whatever you're living in an inner city or you're living in the south in some place you're living somewhere where you're poor, you sort of go well, don't worry. Brett over there said, it's, "I'm not quite as bad off as the uh, the guy in Kenya or the." Well, the, the you know, and when you go to Kenya, you'll see what the difference of real poor is. You know, that's real poor. You know, our poor, and there are people in our country who are really poor. Don't get me wrong, but the majority of what we would consider to be poor really isn't there yet. You know, the poverty lines is it still like seventeen thousand a year? Is that what the poverty? Well, yeah, I think it's somewhere around there. I mean, but they still eat. You know, they still have cable. A lot of our poor, you know, and and I, you know, I, I spent a fair. You're just turning of time into this Dickensian Scroogey kind of guy right now. Well, you know, I, I spent a fair amount of time in my youth in, in in some real, very poor third world nations, and and you, you get a perspective. You know, we're pretty blessed in this country, even even you know, if you're not making as much as the one percent, you know, or if you're nowhere near the one percent. And let me, I'm nowhere near the one percent. Um, at all, and you know, you know, my kids still have clothes. You know, we still eat regularly, and uh, you know, there may not be any money in the bank, but you know, I pay my bills. Michelle, you, yes. What do you think? Uh, I think it's true that our poor are nowhere near as poor as the poor in other countries, but I think we should not just. It's, it's a verity thing, like you said. Oh well, they're worse off than me. You know, I have one leg at least but, <laughs> to stand on. The idea is that in those countries, they have a wage gap that is insane. I, I had this, I don't know where they are. But the wage gap in general, globally, has increased over the past two decades. And I don't yeah, think that as our wage gap increases, we should just go, well, they're, they're still not as poor as those people, so it's okay. I think we should be vigilant of that difference. Well, I, I'm just trying to imply that we've got more room to tighten our belts.
Okay. Well, that's what I said in the beginning. Like, when is... I'm going to go to Jason for this. Uh, Brett, you're going on hold for a minute so I can do it. Hold on. Uh, Jason, can you hear me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. When does belt tightening become austerity? <laughs> well, I, I, I'll echo what Brett says. I mean, uh, I don't think... I, I mean, when you talk about the austerity, uh, you know, we're being pro-austerity. I don't want the notion to be that anybody, uh, there's really nobody, I don't think, that's seriously advocating austerity uh, here, particularly here in the United States. Um, to answer your question, when does belt tightening become what? Say that again for me. Become austerity. When? The, well, I, I think a good indication is when it, uh, when it does uh, affect everybody. Um, when we're all pitching in and, uh, and, you know, affected by it. But this whole notion, we, we go back to poverty for a second. And, I, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to be a, a bad person here or, or, or be scroogey, but you know, there are certain basic things that a person um, can do. And if you do these things, you have a really small chance of ending up in poverty. The first one is to finish high school. That's the very first one. The second one is wait until you're married to have children. And the third one is once you're married, to stay married. If you do those three things, I know they're not always possible, but if you make an effort to do those three things, you're, you, the chances of you ending up in poverty go way, 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 way down. I think that in a large... What about the cycle poverty, where somebody can't get a great education? It's because of any one of a number of factors. They end up not finishing high school. And they, so, so that's, they're not, they're still in that rung of, you know, that... Maybe cycle. all the teachers got fired, you know. I mean, that's just not happening. That is, it's just not happening. I mean, there's no shortage of teachers in this country. There's, there's, there's absolutely not. I mean, Obama going on... And it's not that there's a shortage of human beings who are willing to teach for a living. It's just that the amount of money that's being offered to them and the amount of positions that are available is being reduced. Or not being reduced is probably just growing at a smaller rate because I'm sure we have more and more students each year. But, and I'm not, I don't know that stat. It's just based on having a few kids in school and watching the class size go up and up. It certainly feels like... The the you know and having programs cut you have the music program cut and the computer program cut and the librarian is only now a halftime librarian and you know the things that that made that make the schools like such a fun yeah, great place. Sean, but how many county guidance counselors do you have? How many vice principals do you have? You know, let's look at some of the salaries of the administration. How bloated is the administration from the state level on down? I mean, if you want to talk about education, I think I, I'm agreeing with you. I think that. Um, believe me, I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a guy, I love teachers. Teachers had huge influences in my life. I wouldn't be where I am today without teachers, good teachers. Um, and I, I think that that should be, that the focus should be children. Um, it's not, you know, public education is not a jobs program for adults. It's an education system for children. And that needs to be the focus. And, and, and you yourself, and I was really impressed when you said a couple of weeks ago that you, you, you understand, even as a guy who needs a little bit less, there's big problems with the teachers' unions and uh, and that sort of thing, and how we've sort of lost sight of what what the goals are. But but I'm with you. I mean, I think we should make every effort to see to it that schools are environments where kids want to stay, they want to learn, they want to graduate. Because then that that's going to help us down down the line. Um, and uh, so you know, getting a high school education. I just wonder if we had a panel of like you know of people from across the continuum. I, f I feel like everybody screams just as loud for the cuts that they experience directly. So whether you're, you've got $100 million or $5 million or 250000 or 80000 or 30000 to work with, somehow the, the cuts that are directed at, at you, that are likely going to be directed at you, know, at you, feel, you know, make it feel like, you know, make it feel like the, the, the 
um, protest-inducing, um, you know, imposed sacrifice as opposed to willing sacrifice that people make. Um, so well, I don't know. I, I mean, I mean, for me, I just I want I want the government to take care of my roads. I want them to take care take care of my national defense. I'd like them to deliver my mail. And outside of that, I really want them to stay out of my way. So I, I I'm not I'm not really afraid of any of these uh, of these cuts. Quite honestly, Jason, uh, you use you use wait, Michelle. Do you still use snail mail? Do I still use actual mail? Yeah. Uh, I think I I don't know. I can find stamps if I hunt them down, but no. <laughs> Somebody's they're delivering. We get mail. I think we get mail, you know. But uh, so, so what? What do you think about this concept, Michelle? That that um, we sort of the Brett and Jason are, are, and I think I agree with as well in theory. And that's that you know austerity doesn't happen unless everyone's taking it in the teeth at the same time. That that it's. Uh, um, I mean, what do you what do you think? But but I also I also have this feeling that you know if you're the one who now doesn't have that extra you know, program or thing for your kid to go to school or for what, whatever it might be or for, you know, is it going to affect your your um, prescription drugs? Is it going to affect this, that, or the other thing? You know, it probably feels pretty pretty severe to people in those in those situations. How, where do you, how do you find the balance? Well, uh, there's so many questions in that question. Uh, <laughs> I would say... Take them one I at would... a time. We got all day. Oh, yeah, only 20 more minutes. So I would say that I agree that Austerity is probably something that is not likely, I say not likely, hopefully, to happen here. But I don't think that everybody feels it. This is not an anti-corporation rant. But in countries that are the poorer countries, there is a percentage of the government and more royalties that doesn't feel it because they're the ones imposing on everybody. Uh, but I'm saying, in this I include corporations. I think real austerity measures do impact everybody at the same time. And I and it's done pretty much universally across the board. Like we're not for this as an idea. And then we get into the questions like, well, if we're not going to do austerity measures, then we have this huge deficit. But you don't think we should raise taxes, and you don't think we should cut the budget. So let's go back to an uh, you know a Keynesian Hayek economic debate, and, and you get nowhere. It's just circular logic. It doesn't go anywhere because when they propose. We'll cut this so many dollars for this many dollars to raise taxes. Nobody was in support of that idea. It was even a compromise that couldn't be achieved. So how do we fix it? Hmm. Well, you know, I think that if our national political discussion didn't feel like to people who were in it, like they were moments away from having an austerity regime, you know, an austerity condition environment thrust upon them, people might sound a lot more respectful and responsible. And there might be a more nuanced discussion. But it sounds in every conversation that I – not every conversation. That's a total oversimplification. But it sounds in many public dis, you know, uh, conversations in the public square that – you know, if we do one thing, it's going to totally wreck the union. You know, and if we, you know, people who don't understand the, uh, you know, the the, uh, the superlatives that get used about if you implement this change or that change, it, it sounds to me like you know, barring a great, you know, co uh, a, a great dust bowl 
uh, drought or some you know collapse in the stock market depression that you you three are all kind of agreeing that we're not we're not facing serious austerity measures and so we should just chillax because the Europeans are figuring themselves out more slowly than we do is that Jason are you with, is that right, what you're thinking yeah I think so I think the Europeans have got themselves into this mess um, they um, they're, they're they're as as Brett had said they're clearly you know further to the left I mean even their their conservatives are really not that conservative um, and they are probably one of the biggest entitlement societies that we've ever seen. And within the European Union structure, you have a real range of, of, of folks. I mean, you have Greece at the one end, um, that they're probably the most lax and one of the least productive societies. God bless them, but, but they're not. But the, but they, the fact is that they are. Um, and so you have, in that case, you have the companies like, or the, corp- the uh, countries like Germany and the UK that are much more productive. And they're having to carry the water for Greece, and that's why Germany is saying, "Hey, we're not going to we're not going to do this anymore." And I just wanted to make a point when they were talking about uh, how much is uh, enough or what's fair. You know, um, Chancellor Merkel's opponent has uh, this massive agenda that she's trying to get uh, across, and one of them is that she wants to increase taxes on the wealthy, and that right now the top rate is forty one percent. She wants to raise that to seventy five percent. And to echo what, uh, or to back up what Brett had said also, um, prior to Reagan, um, our income tax rate was 70% on the top. And the richest 1% uh, paid 19% of all income taxes. Now, right now we're at about 35% top rate, and they're paying more than double that. They're paying uh, about 39%. So, you know, just when you lower taxes, this notion that if you lower the tax rate, that it's going to uh, decrease revenue. It never happens that way. You decrease taxes, you increase revenue. So we need responsible spending of that revenue. And let us not forget probably one of the biggest things here is this is our money. The government doesn't create anything. They only take, and they take from the people. We give it to them. They need to be good stewards of our money. I think you've, I think you've just uh, articulated very clearly the conservative position. <laughs> well, thanks. Michelle? Uh, I wanted to quickly address the idea that you know, the idea that Europe is this liberal society that has destroyed themselves because they're a liberal society. I think that one thing we forget when we talk about spending is that when we were talking about how we are the, the currency that how the world measures itself against. So if we want to go buy a barrel of oil that costs fifty dollars, we don't have to prove that our fifty dollars is worth fifty dollars. But other countries have to prove that their money is back is backed by actual productivity in their country. And that's how that a lot of times they experience economic hardship if we actually you know i that's out there and i think that if we actually did like you said lose that staple where we were no longer where we had to prove we're actually producing this we're actually creating this and i don't think we are i don't think we're a society of creators the government we we don't make anything here people don't support things made in this country and businesses if you try to increase anything they will go elsewhere where it's cheaper and then people will in turn buy the cheaper products from them it becomes a responsibility on not just the government the corporations but everyday people to support restructuring have a whole discussion on that of the manufacturing economic base in this country Brett, do you think the way we look, the way that Americans generally, I think it's, we could, you can go down the line and people could 
you know, offer a fair picture of what most Americans think of most Europeans in terms of their lifestyle. Do you think? Do you think that that's a fair? Do you think we really have a good sense of it? No, we have no sense of what pretty much anybody outside of our state does. Wow. We're, <laughs> Americans are terrible. We have no idea what's going on in the rest of the world, unless you travel. I mean, and you've traveled. You, you know what I'm talking about. I, I mean, have. People, I have an idea. In, people in Europe live pretty much the same way we do. That uh, There's a, a vast difference in how much government support uh, systems uh, work, you know, between Europe and here, but in terms of day to day living, they're they're just you know trying to eke out a paycheck like everybody else. You know they don't really think about it, and, and you know in terms of oh, we're so vastly different. I mean they have different outlooks than we do. You know they they don't prize the same things that we prize here in the United States. But in terms of your general purpose, like freedom and. Well, you know, they, 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 it's not that. I mean, you know, we, Sometimes we, I don't know what that different, word means anymore. Have different but... goals. I mean, for instance, you, you, you ask most people in America, and they say, yeah, you can do anything, provided you get, a, you get an education. You have you know, just this vast potential to do whatever you want. And that outlook is not shared by most of the rest of the world. And, and we also feel very entitled to being able to do that, to do whatever we want. Um, you know, we, we also feel that, you know, uh, and, and, and we had this discussion very poorly in Twitter earlier this week about, uh, regarding literacy and, and, and the way we look at it is completely different than the way it's looked at in other countries. You know, there, there are people who, who, who don't read and, and they don't care that they don't read because nobody in their family's read and, and they're gonna do what it was that their family does and live in their village and do their thing and they really resent anybody telling them that what they're doing is wrong. Just as we do. You know, I mean, we get just as resentful if somebody, uh, you know, comes and says that, that our idea is that democracy is the best way to do things, for instance, or, you know, that you have to go and learn this or you really need to strive to get an education. Or you need to you need to get the big house and the big car, and and not everybody believes the same way we do, and and a lot of them. That, that's why a lot of people outside of the United States think we're so arrogant, because because we feel that our way is the best way to do things, and for us it is. For them, eh, maybe not so much. You know, there's there's um, you know in the Second World War there's Second World in movies about World War Two. You'll see the the captain or the major, the colonel come in and say, you know, like, fellas, we've got a, you know, we've got a mission, and uh, you know, the chances of coming home are not good, but it's something that needs to be done, and I, we're looking for volunteers. And then you go around the room, and they're like Spartacus. They, I raise my hand. I raise my hand. I raise my. So everybody raises their hand. And it's like everyone's volunteering to be able to it, go into a mission where they might die in order to kind of, you know, to help the. To serve the to serve the country and their and their fellow their fellow soldiers and and I, I feel like austerity there's this this swirling as it, as we understand it in the European context it has this swirling sense of um, shared sacrifice is the is the thrust from the from those who are you know putting it out there. And from those who are there, who, are, who disagree with it, it's just they're pushing against an imposed, uh, you know, denial of services and so forth. And I, and, I, and I just I feel like in this country that moral thing creeps into the conversation, and 
you know, when people, my mom does this, you know, at a certain point, she'll kind of lean on something like, this is the right thing to do. And she'll, she'll say it in such a way that if you don't agree with her, you're, you're going against her. You know, it's a, the, the argument, the point of view now is inextricably linked with her sense of her own moral strength. And you sort of want to go like, you know, I get it. I understand. No, I, I love you, Mom. But if you think of it in this way, you know, and you try and uncouple that, do you, I, I, I think that that the austerity argument as it starts to become more understood over here is going to is going to have that as its primary or at least initial impact is people feeling morally superior or or, you know, something. Uh, Michelle, what do you think? Uh, the idea of moral superiority. Well, the, the, of the 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 idea, the moral the moral um, implications of the austerity model, you know, austerity plan, and those who, if you're pushing against it, if you don't want to do it, then somehow you're you, you don't have everyone's views in mind. Um, oh yeah, well. I mean, you use that argument uh, all the time, and it comes up in politics too. But well, it, in, but it comes up in different ways too. We could in the austerity argument. I know that Social Security is. I just thought I'd throw that out there because it comes up a lot in austerity. It's something that's on the chopping block. And I heard people use, "Well, if you want to cut Social Security, you don't care about old people. You don't care about this. But you know, if you don't want to give this, and you don't care about the poor, you use it to the rich. But you don't want to do your taxes, and you don't care about the poor. Uh, get more taxes. You don't care about the poor." used always, but I think that the overall concept of morality in that sense sounds, like I said, more of a fear tactic than actual moral, is what it sounds like to me. Hmm. I kind of think of it this way, you know, as more of a realistic viewpoint, a realist viewpoint, I guess, is, is we are X amount of dollars in debt. It's not sustainable. We either cut one way or it'll be cut for us. By war? By, by <laughs> everything falling apart, you know. If our economy tanks, if, if our sovereign credit rating drops too low, if we have too much deficit and too much, both in sovereign debt and 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 uh, and, and, and uh, debt to other nations, you know, you're it it eventually collapses. Sovereign know? debt is debt to ourselves, right? Right. Yeah. All right. Hold, uh, hold on, Jason. What about this moral? Oh man, I just dumped. Brett, sorry, Brett. Uh, okay, so, so uh, Brett, we're we're just about out. So you can call back if you want to say uh, to s sign off. But uh, but Jason, what do you think about this moral kind of hue that surrounds the uh, austerity conversation? Well, I think that um, I think Americans are really unique in this case because I think we, morality and our and our politics are really inextric inextricably linked. I think it's due large part to how we were founded and. Um, you know, it is. It's interesting because uh, I, I like that. I think I, it was hard to hear Michelle, but I think what I heard her saying was, that, you know, that we buy into these stereotypes, and if you are, you know, if you if you're for lower taxes uh, and uh, not taxing the wealthy as much, that you know somehow you you hate the poor, or you don't like the poor, or that you're, you know, um, a Scrooge or or what have you. And I think the fact is that. 
morally, I want everybody to succeed. And I think that people succeed when the government gets out of the way. I think the government creates a, de- a dependent class. So it really comes out of, out of, uh, out of compassion. Um, because, I mean, I, I've seen it, you know, with people that I know that are actually uh, incentivized to not work. I've seen people on disability. I've seen people on, on unemployment. And if they start working, if they start working even just a, a little job, or they get a little part-time thing here or there, they pick up some landscape work, they're worried about their benefits getting, uh, losing all of their benefits. Yeah. So to be incentivized to not, I mean, there's got to be a smarter way to do this and to make it a, really what it's meant to be, is which is a temporary system to keep people from totally hitting the gutter. Hello? Chase? Wow. Uh, Michelle, are you still there? Accidentally cut them both off? Yeah, uh, okay. I, I, this, I'm like a, you know, it's austerity measures in the way I'm using the telephone. I'm, yeah. I'm slicing telephone services to my, uh, my favorite callers. Uh, you want to offer a last thought? We're just about to sign off. Uh, well, uh, I, I think that the general consensus is that we view austerity measures as uh, an action that we should not take or even really consider. And then when we tried to solve the budget issue, we got pretty much nowhere, as I assumed we would. And that I would encourage everybody to not use rhetoric and demonizing words that make the other person stop listening. It's really hard. Ever since I started watching the show, I've been having longer conversations, but more pets of anger, because I try not to scream at people. But, you know, don't, don't assume that it's all the 1% fault. Don't assume that don't 1% or higher. Don't assume that there's a whole bunch of freeloaders out there that they they could have if they wanted to, but they just didn't try hard enough. Both of those ideas are, are prejudiced and we should try to work around them in a more constructive manner. There you go. That sounds like a perfect uh, Vox Populi civil discourse way to go out. Michelle, thank you for being on the panel. Jason, Brett, thank you. What a great... Uh, you guys made it so much easier to to flow through this conversation about austerity measures. We're going to come up with another sexy topic for next week. My name is Sean Astin. You're listening to Vox Populi, voice for the occasionally interested people here on the Toad Hop Network. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and have a great weekend. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.